to the Boss Show. I am one half of the show, Oliver Maroney. You can find me on Twitter at omaroneymba. The other half of the show, Brandon Armstrong at b.a.5, the NBA impersonator. He couldn't make it. He's at. Uh, he was at the All Star Weekend. He's doing his thing down there. Got a bunch of different stuff going on, but we got a special show lined up for you. We've got Dante Stallworth coming in in just a little bit to chat about his career. Uh, former NFL great, uh, you know, kick returner, could do it all. Uh, we're gonna have him on. Um, but before I do, I gotta I gotta mention real quick. Uh, Topicware, Topicware, one of the sponsors of the show. Uh, you can check them out at t o p i k w e a r dot com, Topicware dot com, and check them out there. Uh, check them out at Topicware. Same thing, t o p i k w e a r. Um, just real comfortable, clean, nice underwear. You know. Everyone's got to have a good, nice pair of underwear. Topic Wear is the place to go. They have the great materials, uh, affordable pricing. Go check them out. Uh, they're from the Six, from Toronto. Uh, great, you know, great company. But more importantly, just the most comfortable underwear that you can find on the market today. Uh, go ahead and check them out at Topic Wear and uh, appreciate their support and love, uh, as well as Dash Radio's. Uh, support. You can follow them at Dash Radio. Uh, find us on Dash Radio. We're on the Nothing But Net station two times a week. We're also on Dash Talk, which is uh, featured, uh, you know, basically Fridays, 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Pacific time. You can check us out there. Uh, but otherwise, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for showing up. We're going to get uh, Jonte Stallworth here in just a second. And uh, let's get this show rolling. And this is the Boss Show. Your host, Oliver Maroney, with you. Brandon couldn't make it today. He's doing a bunch of All-Star Weekend stuff, getting prepped for uh, returning as the MVP in the Celebrity All-Star Game. But... uh, I've got a uh, I've got a very special guest here, Dante Stallworth, uh, former NFL great, I would say, you know, a, a very very good kick returner. Enjoyed watching you run the ball back a few times, but uh, man, it, it, it's a pleasure to have you on. How's it going, Dante? Oh, things are going great. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I, I wanted to start this off really about uh, how you just got into football in general uh, and kind of start from the beginning. Uh, what what was what happened? Did you have like family members, or um, how, how did that start, or how did that relationship with football start? My dad uh, had eleven brothers and sisters, and so I was uh, one of many of the young uh, young nieces and nephews who just kind of followed their parents and uncles. Uh, you know, I watched a lot of football. I watched it every Sunday. We got together. And uh, growing up in Sacramento, I was a big San Francisco 49ers fan. And I, I mean, I was from, from the very beginning, it was just, I, I fell in love with the sport. I thought it was uh, interesting, obviously, you know, living that close to San Francisco. Uh, you know, I, I grew up with a great team in my backyard. They won Super Bowls regularly. So um, I was accustomed to seeing, you know, really good football. And so, 
I think that obviously uh, helped me um, grow more passionate about the game over the course of time. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I wanted to play right away. But my mother didn't let me play until uh, my uncle, my uncles convinced her. It took them about, it took them about a year and a half of like pre- really pressing my mother to allow me to play. And I, I don't honestly, I, and I never asked her about this. I, now I probably should now that I think about it, but uh, I never asked her what her reservations were about me playing football. Because my, my older brother had played um, and, and was currently playing football and uh, all of my cousins were playing. And so you can imagine how many cousins I had with my dad having 11 brothers and sisters. And so I just grew up the, the, the household that I grew up in, you know, my big brother, little brothers always, or typically will uh, tend to admire their older brothers. My brother was really good at football. He was extremely athletic. So for me, it kind of was the perfect storm, if you will, that I was uh, kind of you know next to fall in line of, of the next Saulworth that was playing football. Yeah, and so uh, really quick, actually, I, I'll, I'll move on because I'm curious about the reservations, obviously. Uh, nowadays, everybody's talking about the concussion protocol and this and that, and is right. it safe? And what are, what are your kind of stances on just like the overall game at this point when you're, when you're a kid, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, you know, going helmet to helmet, you know, do you think that's okay? Do you think it's not, like, what, what do you, what is your kind of stance on that? Well, I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, I mean, just look at the, the brutally honest assessment of what the human body is meant to endure and is not meant to endure um, the constant banging that happens in football. That's just, I mean, that's, that's obvious. That's science, if you will. Uh, but I don't think we need to go that far. We're not woodpeckers. So, um, our brains aren't meant to sustain that amount of damage. Now, uh, it's easy for me to look back on my career, um, and, uh, the limited injuries that I had most of the, uh, most of the injuries that I, um, endured throughout the course of my playing career, uh, college and pro, were mostly muscle pulls. I, I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have any major injuries. So I can look back on it. Um, I had a lot of great experiences. I played in the NFL for best playing in the NFL for ten years. Um, made a lot of friends, people that I considered family, lifelong friends. Um, so I can look back and say, hey, you know, I, I mean, my experience. Yeah, I sure would do it. I would do it all over again, but. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if the same kid that was, you know, 24, 25 when, when he was no longer um, able to uh, be a part of a team. And, you know, it's, it's hard for those guys. The average NFL career is only three years. So it's hard for the young guys who, you know, been just as passionate as I was growing up about football. And, you know, it was their dream to, uh, you know, to make the game-winning play in the Super Bowl, the things that you do when you're seven, eight, nine years old in your front yard or back yard, um, and you're imitating your favorite players. And uh, But those guys that are out of the league when they're 24, 25, and they have to look for real jobs, and uh, a piece of your um, identity is taken away from you, uh, that's, that's never an easy thing psychologically. Uh, there's a number of... Um, uh, of guys again, you know, the average is only three years, but there are, there are a number of guys who do uh, play and are, ble- are blessed to play longer than the, uh, the average lifespan of an NFL player. But, um, you know, everybody has different experiences. I know a guy that 
I, I came out with in the 2002 draft, um, Antoine Randall L. Uh, I saw something, I, I think, it, I believe it was last year. Uh, it was a little while ago, though, where he talked about uh, how, his, how his body feels now and just like, you know, not being able to just walk regularly anymore or things of that nature. So, uh, you know, and then they asked him, they asked him if, if he regretted playing football. And I believe, I, I don't want to, don't quote me on this, but mm-hmm. I'm about 90% sure that he said that if he could do it all over again, he would have played baseball because he also had that option uh, as a multi-talented, mm-hmm. multi-sport kid coming out of high school, but everyone doesn't have that opportunity, right? So me personally, yeah, my, my experience was, was great. Um, I, you know, again, I made a lot of friends, was, was able to take care of my family and do things and go places that only imagined going as a kid uh and so I, I wouldn't trade it but i know there are other guys who don't feel the same way so personally i wouldn't trade it but uh i do see the reservations by parents that are not allowing some of their children to uh play in uh these pop warner leagues but i i, I do believe there is a difference to the pop warner um you know style football even including high school as opposed to you know maybe some of the higher levels of competition of college or, or the NFL where, um, you know, these guys are, are, you know, at the, at the, at the, um, arc of their, uh, athletic ability and their, and their body and their size, they're grown men out there and they're moving extremely fast. And those collisions are much, much different in the NFL as they, as, as they are in Pop Warner. Um, but again, the, you know, like I said, you know, the constant banging over time, I, I feel fine now. Um, I, I was never knocked out during any games. I know I've got my bell rung a few times, but, uh, I, I kind of am concerned about what's going to, where my brain is going to be in 20, 30 years. But at the same time, I, that's for me, again, this is me speaking personally from my own experience. Um, I didn't know what I was getting into at the time. But now that I do know, I probably still would have done it again. I just love the game that much. And uh, put me in a position now where, um, you know, once I retired, I was pretty much able to kind of go where I wanted uh, as far as, uh, you know, second career and do the next thing that I'm most passionate about. And so football has done nothing but great things for me. Um, but, I, you know, unfortunately, everyone doesn't have that experience. Yeah, that's interesting. And obviously, your second career, you're you're basically correct me if I'm wrong. You're a CNN contributor. You used to work at the Huffington Post. Uh, can you kind of tell me like which which job or which role is harder, playing in the NFL or you know being a journalist of sorts, if if you could call it that? I think uh, for for me anyway, the NFL um, was. You know, it, it, if you if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's uh, book called Outliers, it mm-hmm. explains how you become an expert in your uh, respective field if you spend ten thousand plus hours. And I had done that with with football uh, at that time, so I was, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn or whatever, but anybody who makes it to the NFL, you put in that much time from the time that you're a child, eight years, eight nine years old, and uh, and you've made it to the NFL and you play for 10 years, you essentially become an expert in that field. And so um, now, you know, there are I almost curse. I curse a lot. There are terrible experts and there are, you know, and there are really good experts too. So, you know, that, is, that doesn't, that doesn't say a whole lot, you know, speaking about me personally, but um, no, I, I think uh, journalism is, is much, is much more harder, but um, the beautiful thing about football and the NFL in particular, uh, the beautiful thing about 
playing in the NFL is that you get an understanding of I've, I've had this conversation with a number of people and I told them that I said, probably outside of the military, there's no other occupation on this planet that prepares you for life after, um, you know, for like a, for like a next career, you know, you think about it. Um, when I was, uh, you know, on the Hill and I'd, I'd have to go to the white house or to the Pentagon and have to talk to these generals or, or have to talk to, uh, you know, people that are in, that are in the, uh, the media all the time that are well-known politicians that you don't have to, you know, look on your phone and your Congress, Congress app to see who this person is. Um, I, I, I was not apprehensive about that because, uh, you know, those guys didn't, those people didn't intimidate me and not saying that, that, you know, people are easily intimidated. Uh, but it's something that I, again, that I didn't even think, uh, about at the time, but at the time when I was working at the Upton Post and my boss was just kind of explaining to me how a lot of the other interns who are kids, they're 22, 23 years old, um, who are, you know, pretty apprehensive about walking up to a Ted Cruz or Newt Gingrich or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, those guys didn't intimidate me. It was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Sean Taylor, like that dude, that dude intimidated me. So these aren't, you know, these aren't, this isn't Sean Taylor. So I was prepared to be able to, uh, from a, from a mental standpoint, to be able to just jump right in the fire, man. And, and uh, ask, ask the questions that, that I needed to ask. And, um, you know, it, 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 it really gives you um, a, foot, a foot up on teamwork. You understand teamwork, you understand strategy, you understand um, how, to, how to put together a strategy and how to put together not just any strategy, but an effective strategy and be able to um, implement that and execute it. And again, you know, that, that is what our, our everyday lives consist of. And so there's not, again, outside of military, there are not many occupations that where that prepare you for all those things, working under intense pressure, you know, and, and needing to go from, uh, you know, from plan A to plan B, C, D, E, F, all within a matter of seconds, everybody working together in unison that there, there's no, there's not many other, uh, occupations that give you that experience that, that work experience that football does. And one of my goals is to help guys that are transitioning out of the NFL um, and then into the, into the real world is having them understand that, understand those things. All the things that you've learned in football have prepared you. There are numerous transferable skills that have prepared guys leading the NFL transitioning out into, you know, the real world. And um, uh, it's just, you know, a lot of these things I had, you know, talk, again, talked to a number of people who have done research and, uh, you know, I studied psychology in school, so the passion and interest is there for me uh, from a psychological standpoint. And so uh, I, I, there are a lot of guys that, that you know, for what, a number of reasons that when they leave the game, they're depressed again. I, I believe one of the big ones is, uh, you know, outside of the, uh, you know, the brain injuries, I believe it's, again, it's a part of having your identity stripped from you. Um, you know, who, who, who um, can we say that, you know, and again, you know, I, I, I hate to keep bringing it back to military people, but I've I've spent time at the Pentagon, and I've got a number of friends who are special ops guys, former special ops, and I talk we talk about this all the time. The parallels between um, the NFL and and military, where uh, you know, as far as transitioning out of um, you know off the field, uh, obviously in their case the battlefield, our our case the football field, transitioning off the field and into back into civilian life. Um, and, and what those expectations are. And, you know, now you are, since you are no longer a soldier, you know, those are things you have to deal with psychologically 
um, you know, coming back. And again, for obviously they're dealing with uh, PTSD sometimes coming back from war zones and things, terrible things that, that they've seen. And uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, a parallel there. And I talked to these guys to try to actually even help me out to get a better understanding of transition so I can, you know, kind of help uh, football guys when I, when I uh, go and I speak and I talk to NFL teams, talk to the rookies, talk to the whole team. Um, and so those are the things that, that I, that I've been enjoying to do since, um, since I retired. I, I don't, I don't miss playing. I mean, I think the only time I miss actually miss playing is maybe the playoffs, uh, but not saying like, I want to go back and play, but you just, you, there's, there's no, you don't get that feeling anywhere, right? Like there's no feeling in the world that, uh, that compares to stepping in between the white lines and going out there with your brothers and kicking some butt. That's that you just that there's nothing better than that. And uh, I believe that, you know, once guys, you know, have to come down from that high, man, it's, it's, it's never easy. Um, regardless of if you were, you know, a Tom Brady or, you know, an undrafted rookie free agent who, who only played, you know, a year or two, jumped around. Um, for practice squads and practice squad, but it's it's all the same, man. And uh, that's what I want. I want to be able to help guys get a better understanding and help them transition out of football. So I want to go back to your career. Uh, interesting insight there, by the way. Uh, you know, you you had obviously kick returner. Uh, is there one moment that kind of sticks out to you uh, in your career? Is there one moment that you can like you just Anytime someone brings up a certain play or uh, just just a certain time, you just automatically think to that play or that moment. Is there one that's just ingrained in your brain like that? Uh, I think there's a number of them, I, but I would probably have to say the play in 2000, no, 2003 um, when I was with the New Orleans Saints and we were down in Jacksonville. Uh, it was week 16, and we needed to win this game to get into the playoffs. And we, we've been playing terrible all, all game. Uh, you had J- big John Henderson and Marcus Stroud uh, in the middle there. Those two pro bowlers that were very destructive, not just against us, but against the rest of the league as well. Um, we, hadn't, we hadn't gotten much going. And so we were, you know, down, uh, down a whole score, a whole seven points. And we needed to um, – we were trying to, you know, march down. And we had no timeouts. And there were like seven seconds left in – I remember we called a, a play. It was a trips formation. So it was three guys to the left and me backside to the right. And uh, the play was called all go, which is essentially everybody just run go routes. And I, for whatever reasons, I knew that Aaron was going to throw me the ball. Um, I, and I think backside, you know, you got a better opportunity because there's a little more space there uh, as opposed to going to the, to the three-player side. And so Aaron throws the ball. And um, there's a guy that's like trying to take the ball from me. And there's another safety that's trying to tackle me. I somehow avoid those guys and come and break out of that tackle. And now I know in my mind, my clock's going off. Like there's no more, there's no time to get out of bounds. So I'm like, I have to score now. And so I try, I was actually trying to score. And then I ran out of gas and I was looking for one of my teammates. I started holding the ball. Like I was running the option to let them know, like I'm about to throw the ball, somebody get open. And I saw Michael Lewis come up the street, got the field. So I threw it to him. And he bounced around a little bit, threw it back to Deuce. Deuce did the same. And I'm blocking, meanwhile, on, on the sideline on the other side or on that same side of the field. And I see Deuce throwing the ball, and I don't know who he's throwing it to. I, I can't see anyone. All I can see is a stream of bodies. 
and Deuce's big long arm just just coming out of the pile like a cartoon, and he throws it. And I see Jerome Payson come out of nowhere, jumps and catches the ball and runs into the end zone. And I'm like, oh my god, we just pulled this off. And they had to review. Um, it took a while, but they had to review my lateral to make sure that it was uh, indeed a lateral, and it was. And so we ended up scoring. And so I, you know, then obviously the crowd in Jacksonville was shocked. And um, I remember on the sideline telling telling my guys like, "Hey, we've got them stunned now. Let's go! Like this game's over. Let's you know now we're going to overtime. Let's let you know let's do this. Let's let's handle business." And uh, so I'm getting ready for overtime. You know what I mean? Like I'm hyped. Everybody's hyped on the sideline. Jacksonville is just silent, and the crowd is silent. And uh, you know, uh, you know, all, all pro, all time great John Carney who kicked. That was his 500 uh, extra point he kicked. And unfortunately, he missed it. I, I don't know, uh, you know, if, if it was, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, bad hold uh, by our holder there, Mitch Berger, or you know what? I don't know what it was, but there was never a time in my life where I'd been so where I went from like being like kind of like mid level or even low, and then going like immediately going to a super high, and then immediately going back all the way down to like the lowest low. I had never had that feeling before in my life. And, you know, you don't, at that time, that's when the extra point was on the two yard line. So you don't expect anyone to make those, those, that yeah. in those days, it was uh, like 98.9% that, you know, the kicker would make the extra point. And so when he missed it, I was just like, Oh my God, did he just miss it? And I, and I thought I kind of shrugged like, man, you know what? We shouldn't have won this game anyway, because we shouldn't even have been in this. We shouldn't have even been in that position. And I remember walking off the field and people were just stunned. And, um, Get in the locker room, and I, and I felt bad for for John Carney. It's like we should have never like been in that position for him to, have, you know, what I mean, for him to have to, uh, you know, make that extra point. And you know, again, you do expect it, especially from someone like John Carney. But man, things like that in football happen all the time, unfortunately. Uh, and and I and I felt bad for John because uh, you know that that would have we wouldn't have made the playoffs if we won that game, but it would have kept our playoff hopes alive. And we did win the next game, so um, we actually. Uh, you know, I think we needed help, but uh, I just felt bad for John. That doesn't obviously overshadow his career. He's a great career. He played for a hundred years. I mean, he's one of my favorite teammates, good dude, a uh, good family guy. Uh, but it's just, you know, I, I, I feel bad. That's one of the first plays I remember. Cause that's like something that people still talk about to this day. The NFL just, or last uh, December tweeted it on the day of, uh, you know, so it's become like a thing. They call it the river city relay. But, uh, you know, obviously you can't show that play, unfortunately, Man. without showing John missed that extra point. I, I feel bad. You know, I feel bad about it. But, um, you know, that, that's, the, that's one of the things, you know, I said, you know, like working under pressure. And uh, that, that's something that as football players, we are consistently um, under pressure to, uh, you know, to be successful, to, to make things happen and stay cool, stay calm and cool. And again, you know, there are not many occupations that uh, that that give you that type of experience. So. Uh, you know, I, I know I said it a hundred times before, but uh, that that's one of the things that I want to focus on helping guys that are transitioning out of the NFL to get them to understand, um, you know, that even though your NFL career, your playing career is over, you know, there's still ways for one for you to stay close to the game, but also for you to utilize all of the uh, things that you learned as a professional athlete to be able to learn uh, how to transfer those skills towards your new occupation or your next occupation. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I think, um, 
the, the more and more I, I speak to different people and get a better understanding of of uh, where people are from an individual on an individual scale, um, gives me a better better opportunity to understand things from a general perspective. Uh, to be able to try to you know send messages to guys, uh, whether I'm speaking in front of a team or talking to them individually, um, you know that's that's something that that I always enjoy doing. It keeps me close to the game. Uh, it keeps me um, you know, involved. Uh, I still have a close relationship with the NFL um, and a number of different uh, NFL organizations. I think now I've like, tw- I'm, I'm connected in, in, in some way to like 12 to 15 NFL head coaches now um, and pretty, pretty good friends with the number of them, with a handful of them, which is really weird because these guys, you know, when I was playing, these guys were, uh, you know, like assistant coaches and just, you know, just coming up the ranks. And now these guys are like head coaches, like Sean McVay, like uh, Maddie P or Maddie Patric- Matt Patricia, um, Bill O'Brien. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I'd seen all these guys from a young, from when they were, you know, pups and, as far as uh, the coaching ranks go. And uh, that's given me an opportunity now that to have a relationship with those guys and be able to come and speak to their teams, you know, about social responsibility and stuff like that. So um, it's fun, man. I, I enjoy that, honestly. Um, almost as much as I enjoyed playing. And again, there's no feeling like that at all. But uh, I think from, you know, trying to get guys to understand, not only do you have transferable skills, but, you know, find something that you're uh, passionate about, just like you were passionate about football, find something like that and find a way to make it work for you where you're able to uh, to have a sustainable, um, uh, be able to have a sustainable um, income from the things that you're passionate about and not just, uh, you know, have to transfer into jobs that you really don't want. Like that's, that's one of the things that the NFL has afforded us. And so, you know, I, I'm, I, uh, stress the guys to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I got a couple more questions before I let you go. Uh, the first one, you know, I hear this all, every player I try and ask this to, because I feel like there's always a player that for whatever reason doesn't shine on the field like they should or on the court like they should uh, or what they do in practice doesn't illustrate what they do in a game. Was there one guy Mm -hmm. in your career, whether it's a quarterback, wide receiver, running back, whoever it is, defensive guy, doesn't matter. um, Was there a guy in your career that you played with and just everybody knew that he was a ball player and for whatever reason uh, he either didn't get a chance Uh, didn't get the full opportunity to showcase his ability or showcase his skills uh, on the playing field and could have been like, you know, guys who could have been an all-time greats or or players that you played with, whether it's high school, college, Mm -hmm. pros, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. I'm always curious to hear just the different answers because I get all the time uh, just a a variety of different different answers, uh, whether that's a superstar that should have been even better than just what they were or if it's, like I said, a guy deeper down the bench that really didn't get opportunity, but he was hungry and he was killing guys on the practice field for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Coach didn't like him. Uh, yeah, can you just like maybe maybe a couple names that you played with or you know that you've seen play that just you know they they they're just their stuff jumped off the charts, but for whatever reason it didn't add up to a successful career. Well, I think the uh, first name that jumps out to me is uh, Derek Lewis. When I was in New Orleans, he was he's a, he's a guy from New Orleans as well, and he was uh, he also he was a very extremely athletic, talented dude. 
And uh, he was, you know, like you said, he was on the field just destroying guys in practice. And uh, he just didn't get an opportunity much, uh, you know, in, in New Orleans for a couple of years. But, you know, he was just a guy that worked hard. He was, um, he was athletic. He could catch the ball. He had great hands. Um, but then he went down to the uh, Houston Texans, and, and they gave him a shot, and he took advantage of it. And he had he had a few good years down there um, before he ended up uh, retiring and leaving the game. But um, you know, I I just it, it, sometimes in the NFL, it's all about uh, it's all about place placement and opportunity. Um, there are a number of of guys you can look back to, whether it's in a, you know in a draft or uh, you know if they end up in free agency and get with the team that wasn't a good fit for them. Uh, but usually it it, it uh, derives from the uh, draft classes where you can have a guy who's extremely talented and he gets with the, with the team that doesn't really fit his abilities um, and, and it doesn't work out. And I think um, kind of the opposite end of that real quick, I, I'd like to jump to is when you look at a guy like Alvin Kamara, um, yeah. Alvin, Alvin, Alvin went, you know, he went to school at my alma mater, Tennessee. So I saw this kid, you know, when he was, uh, you know, like sophomore, junior, I, I, I was watching him just destroy defenses when he was only touching the ball like two or three times a game. And so I was like, what's going on? Like, why isn't this kid getting the ball more? And, and I, and I, and I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I remember just tweeting one day, you know, uh, while he was during one of the games um, in college. And I remember tweeting, I said, I know there's a lot of NFL uh, coordinator, offense coordinators who cannot wait to get their hands on this dude. And because you could see he was just a utility guy. He could run between the tackles. Um, he was strong. He was fast. He was quick. Had great, exceptional um, uh, athleticism and vision. And uh, somebody who uh, is a Tennessee fan and a Saints fan who follows me on Twitter, we follow each other. And he said to me, or he tweeted to me, he said, uh, he said I think he'd look great in black and gold. And I said, you know what? I said, that would be the perfect scenario for him because that's what Sean, I, I played for Sean Payton. That's what Sean Payton does is he gets those utility backs. Like he did that with Reggie Bush, right? He brought Reggie Bush there, drafted Spoils. him number two overall, um, you know, and yep. he was able to, he, he, he was able to uh, like put him in a position where Reggie Bush was able to be successful, you know, with return in the return game. And then, you know, just utilizing him, isolating him all over the field and putting him in mismatches on everybody. And that's exactly what Sean Payton has done with Alvin Kamara. Now, I don't know if you put Alvin on another team, if he's as successful as he was this year with Sean Payton and having uh, Mark, e Mark Ingram, you know, to counter, to counter his abilities, uh, you know, on the field. So that, for me, was the perfect scenario. Like, you couldn't have put Alvin in a better position than he was with going to New Orleans. Um, and, and he had a lot, of, a lot of reason to do with their success. Um, I played with uh, um, Braylon Edwards, and I was able to, you know, obviously he's a talented guy, he's a friend of mine. Um, but I, after I left New Orleans or um, New England in 2007, I signed with uh, the Cleveland Browns the following year. They had just come off a, a pretty good season. They missed the playoffs by one game. They were 10 and six. Um, they played really well. They they don't, they played us up to that point when they played us. I think it was week six or seven. Um, they played us extremely hard. Uh, harder than anyone had did up to that point. So I was like, this is a good up and coming team. And, uh, you know, things for a number of reasons just fell apart. But um, I, I always thought that, you know, looking at Braylon and seeing him, being able to see him uh, close and personal, 
um, you know, on the practice field and not just watching him on, on games on Sundays. Um, I thought he had like exceptional ability. He would do some things that I, I only saw Randy Moss do, um, and, you know, on the practice field. And, uh, you know, I felt like Braylon could have been one of those all time great Hall of Famers. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately it just didn't work out in, in that way. He still had a pretty good career. I mean, but, but I thought he could have been like, you know, one of those yellow jacket guys. Interesting. Interesting. And then, so I, I want to get to, yeah. So I guess moving to now, the current time you look at Johnny Manziel, of course, he's kind of a talking point and whatnot. Uh, I don't want to dive too deep into him specifically, but like, when you talk about quarterbacks and you talk about fit and you talk about, you know, where they go, the coaches they have, how they utilize them, it seems like Johnny Manziel is on the flip side of what Alvin was, where he went to a situation that was already yeah. just ruthless. Like you, you weren't <laughs> you weren't gonna look good no matter who you were, because they didn't really have right. much around him. And so I guess my question, it goes to Johnny Manziel a little bit, is do you think he still has a chance to be an NFL quarterback? And then I, I'll just add a second part to this. Is there, if you were to have any quarterback in the NFL right now on your team, if you if you were starting a franchise, your GM, Dante Stallworth, you're, you're going from day one, Who's the quarterback that you would most want on your team right now today? Ooh, um, I would say probably Carson Wentz or uh, Deshaun Deshaun Watson, one of those two guys. Um, I yeah, I you know, and and uh, yeah, I played for the Eagles, and uh, I went to the season opener when they played Washington here. I went with a buddy of mine um, who's uh, uh, a huge Eagles fan, and. And I, and I was just watching Wentz, you know, watching it. And I saw him as a rookie. I thought he played really well. Um, you, you don't expect rookies, uh, rookie quarterbacks particularly, to be great. Their rookie seasons, they, 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 you know, they're getting a lot of different defenses thrown at them. They're seeing things that they've never seen before in their life. Uh, they're playing, you know, it's in the NFL, the faster guys are bigger and the bigger guys are faster. So he may have had you, – you get guys where, you know, they may have had all day – to throw the ball in college, where they could, you know, run around and bounce around and make plays and scramble and, you know, make make plays that are that come from a you know broken play. But in the NFL, that that just that just doesn't happen. You've got guys like um, Carlos Dunlap and and uh, uh, Davion Clowney um, who are coming around that edge super fast, you know, just as fast as running backs as, as running backs. So those things don't last. But I, I what I did see in Carson Wentz was I saw him improving every single game. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. He made mistakes because that's, you know, if you're a rookie quarterback, you're going to make mistakes um, and you're going to do it for a couple of years, to be honest. And, but I saw him uh, not being flustered in the pocket. I saw him uh, making great plays, you know, taking, taking some tough, some tough hits, getting up and standing in there the next play, making throws, uh, not getting antsy in the pocket. And he just kept getting better and better. And I saw the culmination of all that from his rookie year, to his first, you know, the season opener where I went to and watched live, and I left with my jaw dropped. Like, my jaw was just on the floor when I left that game. I'm like, this kid's going to be a superstar. Like, this kid's going to be a – you can see it. And, uh, that I, you know, I'm, I'm a – you know, obviously, I, I pull for all the teams that I play for. I still have friends uh, that are in the organization. I've got a number of friends on the Eagles team, and, uh, and, and I, I, I've got a number of uh, – there's a number of Eagles fans actually here in Washington, D.C. as well 
you know, with it being so close in proximity. But I tell them all, I said, you guys got a quarterback on your head and he's going to be there for a while. You know, um, uh, God willing, he's uh, lucky enough to stay healthy and blessed enough to stay healthy. Um, the kid's going to have a great career in this game. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I appreciate the time, Dante. This is uh, this has been very cool. I hope to have you on again. Um, look forward to catching up at some point. And once again, appreciate the time. You can follow him on Twitter at Dante Stallworth. Uh, go ahead and check out his work with CNN. Uh, appreciate the time, Dante. Hey, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime, my brother. Dante Stallworth, everyone. I appreciate his time. I appreciate him coming on the Boss Show. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in, Dash Radio, on Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 p.m. Pacific Time, on Dash Talk. And then we're also on Nothing But Net on Saturdays and Mondays. Check us out. Until next week, peace.